Welcome to the India Fintech Diaries, the only podcast focused exclusively on the Indian fintech market. I'm Elroy. And I'm Himan. In each episode, we dive into the latest trends, ideas, innovations, business models, and personalities that are shaping India's fintech landscape. We also invite amazing guests who are innovators and industry players that are driving the change that is helping make financial services more modern, innovative, and inclusive in India. Come join us as we explore the changing landscape of fintech in India. Welcome back to India Fintech Diaries. It's been a while since we did one of these, right, Hemant? Yes, Elroy, and like everyone else, India Fintech Diaries also took a little break over summer, and now we are back. Back to the show that discusses all things fintech. But uh, wait a minute, Hemant, let's rewind a little. So you were off during summer, right? Which exotic location did you go to? Yeah, yes, yes, Elroy. Actually, I just came back from a trip to Indonesia. In spite of being off-seasonish, Indonesia was a fabulous experience for me, my wife. I spent a good two weeks in Bali and surrounding islands, and even that was not enough. So I'm planning to go back as soon as possible. The trip truly opened my eyes to the tourism opportunity that Indonesia and Southeast Asia has overall. So I guess this means, Simon, that travel is pretty much back, uh, and along with it comes cross-border payments. And I think this is an excellent way to segue into our topic for today, which is cross-border payments. But uh, before you delve into the topic, I'm curious, how did you spend in Indonesia? What kind of payment mechanism did you use? Yeah, right. As you know, we don't only do episodes on fintech and their products. We actually use them. So for my trip to Indonesia, I was using this card from Neo, the fintech. In fact, we also did an episode with Neo with Vinay Bagri, their CEO, long time back. So if someone is interested in the product and wants to know what kind of product it is, what the company does, have a listen to that episode. But that was amazing. So I used the card for most of my payments, hardly used cash across Bali and the rest of Indonesia. But enough about me, Elroy. Let's try and understand the cross-border payments market in India first. So let's start with how big is this market? So Hemant, as you know, India is one of the largest personal remittance markets in the world. With over 11.5% of the world remittances flowing to India. Now, this amounted to about uh, $83 billion in 2020 and uh, roughly about $83, $87 billion in uh, 2021. And in the same year, outward remittances, which was uh, remittances from India to the rest of the world, were estimated to amount about $7 billion. Now, definitely mm-hmm. this shows that the market is pretty large. But while it's large, it's also a very highly regulated market. Absolutely, Elroy. Now, this particular market is governed by Foreign Exchange Management Act or FEMA. Uh, which governs all the foreign currency remittances within the country. Let's let's take outward remittances first. These are now almost freely permitted under the Liberalized Remittance Scheme or LRS. In fact, before LRS was introduced, it was quite difficult to send money overseas. Now up to USD 250,000 can be sent out each year per person for notified activities like tourism, education, supporting family members living overseas, investment in property, shares, etc. However, when you come to inward remittances, this area is a bit more regulated. Heyman, when it comes to inward remittances, the Reserve Bank of India offers two routes, the Rupee Drawing Arrangement or RDA and the Money Transfer Service Scheme or MTSS. Now, let's take the RDA route first. Mm -hmm. Under RDA, 81 banks or authorized dealer banks, that is banks that are permitted by the Reserve Bank of India to buy and sell Forex for specified purposes, usually maintain WASFO accounts with exchange houses in FATF compliant countries. So now, uh, let's say you wanted to remit uh, money to India under the RDA scheme. 
uh, you would then approach one of these exchange houses and use the RDA route to directly remit the equivalent rupees to India. This process is fast and takes a few hours. Mm-hmm. The second approach is to MTSS, where overseas money transfer services tie up with MTSS authorized agents in India. Now, this is one that we are more familiar with. And in this case, when anyone w- wants to remit money to India, you typically approach one of these overseas money transfer service agents who will then have their MTSS agent in India handle disbursement of funds. Now, this process typically takes one to three days and costs anywhere between 0.3 to 5% of the transaction amount. Transactions are typically capped to about uh, $2,500 per transaction to a maximum of 30 transactions per account per year. Today, mm-hmm. there are nine entities that are authorized uh, for MTSs in India. I think a particular point to note is both MTSs and RDA are typically meant for personal remittances, even though RDA has a carve-out for uh, commercial remittances. Commercial remittances are usually make use of traditional routes like SWIFT as of now. Hmm. Got it. Now that Elroy, we have looked at the regulatory framework around remittances. Let's look at some of the main sectors and fintechs operating in that space. And let me tell you, this place is becoming really hot with a lot of players playing in this particular area. So if you were to look at the fintech in this space, the cross-border landscape in India would largely be divided into remittances, forex, retail cross-border payments and commercial cross-border payments. So we discussed extensively about remittances and there are number of both international and domestic fintechs that are looking to capture the market share within the country. And let me tell you, it's a very, very contested market now. So you can find both new age firms like Wise, Zoom, Remitly and old age behemoths like Western Union fighting for a market share in this particular space. Now the new age fintechs like Wise have even established their own global networks with local accounts in each country they operate in. Let that sink in. Now, what is the advantage of that? Now, this allows WISE to remit money from country A to country B cheaper and faster as the money is disbursed from country B's local account and never ends up crossing the border actually. Now, these firms have also been very quick to leverage the unique domestic payments infra of the country, which is India. Now, for example, WISE now offers remittances directly to the UPI ID thereby reducing the hassle in setting up a payment. Card network like Visa with Visa Direct and MasterCard with Send are also planning on making it simpler to remit money to India using their rails. Now, if you look at the UPI ID-based remittance, it is extremely important because a lot of people who have traveled to Middle East were earlier sending money back to their families, but the family had to travel a very long distance to actually get that money. In some cases, actually, they had to forego that day's wage that they were going to get had they gone to their uh, places where they used to work. Now that gets very simplified with the remittances coming directly to the UPI ID. Hemon, the next category of fintechs are somewhat more familiar to you given your recent trip to Indonesia. Like firms like BookMyForex have actually bought the old school Forex cash and card business into the digital age. I still remember the first time I went on a trip overseas, the hassles that I had to go through to find a Forex uh, dealer, get the Forex cash from him and arrange it to be delivered on time, etc. was a huge hassle. Book My Forex has actually completely changed that entire space and it has made it so easy that it's as good as booking Forex literally to your doorstep. On the other end, firms like Neo with its Neo Global Card are making it cheaper to spend overseas. This is way better than choosing your existing debit or credit card where there's a substantial Forex markup on the card and it makes it cheaper, therefore, for people to actually spend overseas. I think the one sector that has still not seen a lot of interesting fintechs is commercial cross-border payments. 
though Wise and some of the other remittance players have been making a play for commercial payments. Globally, firms like Stripe have been at the forefront of enabling cross-border payments for enterprises to allow them to collect payments from their customers from across the globe. True, Elroy. When you say that in your first international trip, it was so difficult to get the Forex. I still remember my first trip and like many Indians, it was Thailand. I was already very excited about actually getting my passport stamped and going somewhere. Already very worried about what are the processes, what things required. And then I had to get Forex. I had zero idea where to get Forex from, what processes. There was this physical form to be signed. So it definitely was a hassle to really get that in my hand. Now, the good thing is our regulator, RBI is very also very keen on supporting fintech growth in this particular space. In fact, if you look at the second regulatory sandbox cohort, it focused exclusively on cross-order payments use cases. And now I'm going to just list some of the use cases which were part of the sandbox, which we find very, very interesting, right? So the first idea is book my Forex that is trialing the use of Visa Direct for inward remittances. The second one is cash-free payments that is looking to facilitate the purchase of overseas listed assets. Third is nearby technologies that wants to use Aadhaar as a mean of inward remittances. And fourth is open, which wants to use blockchain to simplify cross-border payments. And the fifth is SoCash that's making spending on the India-Singapore corridor simpler for tourists and visitors. Hey, speaking of Singapore, I think we completely forgot to mention NPCI. NPCI has yeah. been doing fabulous work in, in the entire space of cross-border payments. In fact, I think it's completing its interlinking with Singapore's PayNow in the latter half of this year, which should fully allow the usage of UPI overseas in Singapore. NPI also recently announced its intention to take UPI overseas and grow it to be a swift-like network for remittances. It's already working with UAE, Nepal, Bhutan and now France to get UPI live in those countries. So definitely interesting times ahead. Absolutely, Elroy. And last few weeks, uh, all the media channels have been replete with the news or information on exactly what you said, which is UPI planning to operate a Swift-like network for remittances. So absolutely interesting times, which we are looking at. In fact, Elroy, in the last two months, we have seen a lot of action, both on the regulatory front and also the changes in the ecosystem. So what we will do is our newsletters will start unpacking some of this as the dust settles and there is a better clarity and understanding on that. So do watch out for those newsletters. So in the next week, as always, we will try and speak to some of the players in the cross-border payment space to further get you more insights into what's happening in the space and what's under the cover uh, or how it works. So stay tuned for more. That's it from India Fintech Diaries for this week. Do log on to your website, indiafintechdiaries.com for exclusive content. Until next time, mask on and stay safe.